Hi there, lovely lady. Welcome to 500 Seconds to Joy. I'm your host, Stephanie. I'm so glad you're here. This is a podcast for the busy mom who wants to find some extra joy in her day. In eight minutes or less, I will share my own words of encouragement for you and some God-inspired words of wisdom. When I have fabulous guests to share with you, you'll hear an inspiring interview in 20 minutes or less. I like to keep it short and sweet, actionable and encouraging. Let's get started. Hi there. Welcome back to 500 Seconds to Joy. I'm your host, Stephanie. This is part two of my conversation with Avital from The Parenting Junkie. And in part one, she talked with us about cultivating this sense of peace and being present with our children. And in part two, she's going to talk with us about play and encouraging independent play and what this looks like for us as moms and how this can free us up to maybe drink a cup of tea. So I know you're going to love hearing from her in this part two of our two-part conversation. If you haven't listened to part one, go listen to that. But you can also start here too. That's fine. And I know you're going to enjoy hearing from Avital and just her wisdom. I love the way she shares and talks about play. It's so inspiring. And her episodes um, on play on her podcast and her YouTube videos, The Parenting Junkie, those are my favorites. I love hearing about play because as a type A mom, I'm always fighting against this need to be constantly teaching and reading and engaging all the time. Um, taking a step back and letting my kids do independent play and explore. I need encouragement on that. And maybe you need that too. So definitely listen to my conversation with Avital and enjoy. And I cannot wait for you to connect with her. I know you are going to be inspired by her just the way I am. So enjoy this part two of our conversation, friends. You know, just to piggyback off of that, just to use, you know, to just use this time to ask you something that, um, you know, I'm struggling with. And I'm sure a lot of other moms listening are because I think a lot of my listeners have toddlers Mm -hmm. Um, and the screaming. Mm -hmm. And what do you suggest in those moments to sit next to your child? Well, you know, children scream for various reasons. And I think it's always helpful to kind of tap into our intuition and ask ourselves, where is this coming from? Mm Mm-hmm. Because we want to respond differently to different types of screams, just like we respond differently to different types of cries or to different talks, right? Mm -hmm. So some two-year-olds are just really intrigued by their new power to just create loud noise. And it's not meant to irritate us. It's meant to explore auditory sensation, right? Mm -hmm. Some toddlers are screaming in frustration. They're trying to express themselves or they're trying to get something that they want and they don't have the words or they don't have the emotional regulation to handle the frustration that's coming up and they need support in helping themselves calm down. And sometimes it becomes a bit of a behavior where they're getting reinforced by our irritation or by stop screaming and they suddenly see, oh my gosh, this is an interesting button to push because when I push it, mom jumps, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then it's more behavioral and it's more about disempowering that and not giving it the attention and the intrigue, you know, kind of popping that balloon so that it's not so powerful. So I guess my first question to you, Stephanie, is where do you think the scream is coming from in your child? 
It's a great question. And it is usually around hunger because my sweet little three-year-old um, eats very little bits at one time. <laughs> and if too long passes, you know, her blood sugar drops. It's happens to me as well. I snack throughout the day. Mm-hmm. She has eating habits just like me. <laughs> and, you know, it, it's that hanger. Mm-hmm. And and I can definitely tell based on the time of day, it's almost always around 10. And and usually I can I can head it off and, and get the snack on the table. But if I'm a few minutes late, you know, there's the scream. Mm. Um, yes, it's it's something that I, I try to not react to and mm. and just sit with it and let it flow. Um, but at the same time, you know, letting her know that I'm not okay with her screaming at me in mm. my face mm-hmm. in anger. Um, that's not an okay way to behave toward me. And since she's such a verbal three-year-old, I'm able to have those conversations with her and there's able to be like a, I'm sorry, mom, and I forgive you. And okay, mom, let's be friends again. So Mm. my three-year-old probably talks more like a four-year-old, but um, anyway, in those moments, it's definitely hanger. um, And it's just, I'm that safe person to let it all out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think you've got your answer right there. It's about saying that you're not okay being spoken to that way and still holding empathy for the fact that she can't quite master that skill yet. She will, right? It will take her a little bit or a lot of practice to learn that this is the hungry feeling. I can scream or I could also say, mom, I'm really hungry, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think showing her that on the one hand you're empathic towards that and you're going to rush to get the snack absolutely you know something like whoa sweetie I, I hear you're so hungry I get it you're really frustrated please try and talk quieter because that hurts my ears and it doesn't help me get your snack ready quicker um and just reiterating that that's not a helpful sound and not quite linking that because you are going to give her the snack. It's not like you're saying this won't work. If you scream, you won't get your snack, right? No, <laughs> she's going to get her food. But just showing her that the scream is redundant and actually harmful, not helpful. You know, so, mm-hmm. whoa, I see you're really upset. That's too loud. That hurts my ears. Can you please practice with me saying it in a quieter voice? And you may or may not be able to do that in that moment. Cause like you said, she is stressed. She's hungry. She's in, you know, hunting mode and she needs the food or whatever. <laughs> but maybe afterwards, after she gets her food, you could say, you know, sweetie, I noticed that when you get really hungry, you get really loud and that hurts my ears. So can we practice ways of showing me that you're hungry without screaming and she might come up with something she might come up with tapping you on your arm or with bringing you her plate or with saying something funny like hungry 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 you know (laughs) and giving her alternative ways of expressing that but practicing it not when she's you know triggered like that but rather when things are calm um you know, might be, might be a worthwhile conversation to have. I know might be worth experimenting with. I like that a lot. And what great advice to practice when she's calm. And, and that goes for all of us, right? I mean, who likes to be told when they're mad to calm down or to practice being calm? It's like, you got to wait for that moment to pass and then, okay, let's revisit it. Um, that's kind of a good, 
tip for marriage too. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's so hard because when she screams, that's when you remember, oh, we have this problem. <laughs> but yes. on the other hand, uh, it's not a teachable moment. She's not actually receptive to any new information right. at that moment. So, so true. Yeah. That is so good. Yes. Yeah, so um, if it's okay with you, I would love to move on to the last P, play. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, we want to encourage play with our children. Um, and I know you talk a lot about independent play. And I would love to hear some of your, you know, practical tips of ways to implement more play, you know, in the home and just um, just empower moms, you know, with this idea of play. Oh, yeah, totally. You're speaking my language. So, <laughs> you know, play is on the decline. We have longer school hours, lo- uh, shorter summer holidays, shorter recesses, um, much more concern about safety and kids not being out and about with other kids, etc. So kids are so much more limited. We have much more scheduling. I'm talking very stereotypically, but this is what we're seeing um, in terms of numbers. And there it's to devastating effect you know it's to devastating effect because play is an absolutely crucial part of childhood and i venture to say adulthood as well so the decline in play leads to so you know a whole host of other ills uh, like a rise in depression a rise in anxiety a decrease in creativity a decrease in academic skill in social and emotional intelligence because play you know, just any modality of play, what children pick up and do naturally when given the time and space to do so is where children naturally develop all of the skills that they need uh, in order to succeed in adult life in their culture. So let's put a pin in that for a moment and move on to another flip side of this or another side of the same coin, which is that us parents are so much more um, isolated than ever before. We have, you know, we're not raising children in clans. Um, we are often alone with our children at home. And then we have this big conundrum of screens and how much to use and digital babysitters, etc. And on the, and we have a lot to get done. We have dishes to, to wash and, and emails to answer and all that stuff. And if children can sink into play, if they can enjoy a world of independent play, of exploring, you know, with cars, with trucks, with dolls, with Lego, whatever it is, painting, dancing, you know, I, I define play as any self-directed exploration that children are, are, are engaging in, then that liberates us as well. We can sit down with our cup of tea, we can uh, answer that email, we can make the phone call, we can iron, whatever it is we're doing, um, because our children are engaged in an activity that benefits them. And we don't have to feel guilty around switching on a screen. Again, you don't have to feel guilty when you do switch on a screen, but I know many of us do feel guilty about that. And so this to me is an absolute win-win. It gives children the social, academic, emotional, um, physical development opportunities that they seek and need. Um, it gives them time and space to get attuned to who they are, to get quiet and listen to their inner voices, direct themselves, create the worlds around them that they're curious about, that they're interested in. These are skills that so many of us are trying to reclaim as adults, right? Learning how to be quiet, how to quieten the mind, mm-hmm. how to sink deep into a creative flow how to pursue our own self-directed interests. Well, these are all things that children do naturally, just we teach them out of it. And so I'm on a mission to help myself and every other parent out there 
simply preserve and reclaim this uh, natural tendency that all all healthy children have um, to play. And play looks different for each child and different in each home. But if we just create some space, uh, some physical space and some space in our schedule and encourage it, it's there and it's a gift. And our culture doesn't see it as that, right? It's like, oh, they're doing nothing. They're staring at the ceiling. They're just twiddling mm-hmm. the thumbs. They're just building with Lego. When are they going to do real productive work? And I think it's time to flip that on its head and to realize that that is the most productive thing that children can do. Mm-hmm. Such a good message for moms to hear and everybody to hear, really, because I think you're right. Adults need to adults need to play more too, um, and have those opportunities to be creative and to just um, turn off the phone or you know just place it face down is what I do and just think just be, pray, meditate, journal, read, whatever those, just be. Um, And I think kids, I've noticed, um, especially after doing the screen challenge, you know, five days in, there was no asking for the screen anymore. Mm. Um, And, you know, I don't think you have to take away the screen completely, but I, I do think there's some value in having periodic times where you just don't go there and you allow them to just explore. I mean, it's so beautiful when you see them just making up their own games and, um, you know, that's when people feel truly free. It, and it's so amazing to see a child lost in play and, and you do see that complete freedom that a lot of us adults would love to attain, <laughs> you know, that's mm-hmm. such a beautiful yeah. thing to see. And, um, and so how can maybe this week, um, just kind of a little action step or something moms could put into practice to kind of encourage more play in their home? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, so my work is full of action steps to encourage play, but I'll tell you one thing that's very easy to stop doing, uh, and it's a little bit similar to the listen comment, um, the listening idea, but it's to stop interrupting uh, when play does begin. We are taught in our culture to constantly speak to our children and talk to our children, narrate what they're doing. Oh, you're putting the blue block on top of the red block and to direct them. Why don't you do it like this? Let me show you how it works. Oh, should I do that for you? Hey, why, you know, maybe you should add this in. And just noticing that our children are sinking into a state of play. It's the same state as adults sink into, we call it flow. Um, Mihai Sanchik Mihai coined the term flow and explained mm-hmm. what it entails, right? Sinking into an alternative reality where time and space kind of stand still, where you're challenged, but also, you know, gaining mastery. You know, it's not too difficult to challenge where you're expressing yourself. If you were sitting there writing the most beautiful novel and you're in the flow of your writing, do you want your husband to come and look over your shoulder and say, oh, I like how you wrote that metaphor. Mm, I see what you're doing with that, <laughs> with that character. It's so distracting. <laughs> That's a good example. I like that. Well, it's funny. kind of disrespectful. Um, it but- is. <laughs> wow. I never thought of it like that. That's a great example. I think people are going to like that. <laughs> yeah. So it's one thing when a child looks up at us and makes eye contact and says, hey, you be the mermaid, right? But it's a completely different thing when they're exploring something and we come and shake a rattle in their face or do something, you know, tell them what to do. 
And we're shooting ourselves in the foot, not to mention robbing them of the experience, but we're also teaching them to be dependent on us. And then we're surprised with why can't they self-direct? Babies know how to self-direct. Toddlers know how to self-direct. Um, it's more about getting out of the way uh, than it is about doing anything else. And I think that that is a really good starting point. It's just noticing. I can assure you that over the next few days, if you observe your child with a little bit less, you know, interference, you'll notice times when they're picking something up, where they're exploring it. And it's your job to reclassify that in your mind as play and exploration, as valuable. And, at, you know, in my house, if a kid is playing, we tiptoe. You know, we mm -hmm. do not talk to that child. We do not make eye contact. We respect that they are currently doing the work of childhood, as Maria Montessori called it. Mm -hmm. I love that. And I just want to add on that you have a great resource that I've utilized about, you know, the different play zones. Um, so as we wrap up here, I'd love to have you you know, let people know where they can find you. And it's been just a joy to chat with you, Avital. And, and I know people are going to want to learn more about you and, and learn from you because you just have so much wisdom to share. And yeah, you're just so down to earth and, and just real and honest. And yeah, I just, I love what you share. So can you let us know, let everybody know where to connect with you after this conversation? Yeah. Stephanie, thank you so much. And um, thanks for that opportunity. Sure. So my work can be found at theparentingjunkie.com. Um, and the guide that Stephanie was referring to is called the Childhood Design Guide. In it, you'll find 10 steps to create a play-inducing haven at home without spending any extra money, but really just rearranging what you've already got into play zones and maybe chucking out a few toys that might be doing a little bit of damage to independent play. Um, so yeah, everything's over at The Parenting Junkie. My videos, my blog, my memberships, my courses, my podcast, it's all, you can find it all through there. Fabulous. Thanks, Avital. Thank you, Stephanie. <laughs> okay, friends, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Avital. Definitely look at those links in the show notes, click on those and connect with her. She has so much goodness to share on her website, on YouTube, on her podcast. If you were inspired here, I know you will continue to be inspired by her over in one of, one of those ways. And um, it's just so fun to get to chat with fellow podcasters and to chat with a mom who is just so excited about encouraging other parents in their journey. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation today. And if you did, would you please do me a favor and leave a review? You can go to your Apple Podcasts app on your iPhone and click the little icon that says write a review and you can rate and review the podcast. That's way, that way we can find more moms to join this 500 Seconds to Joy community and just really encourage parents in their walk and just create this beautiful community where we support each other, we lift each other up, we encourage each other, we inspire each other. Can you tell I'm excited? Anyway, thank you so much for being here. I can't wait to chat with you again soon. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Bye for now.